Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. It's uh, a privilege to, uh, to be here this morning and, uh, and to, uh, to open God's Word. Now, we're trying something new here. Alex is going to try and work my, uh, my PowerPoint from the back there, so hopefully uh, uh, that, uh, that doesn't glitch on us, but sometimes when you try uh, new stuff. I've entitled this morning, Joy Begins Here. How are we doing there, Alex? Perfect. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen that sign uh, hanging in the rafters at your local Walmart. We sang earlier, Joy to the World. And you can go to the next one there, Alex. Joy to the World, is it, the, the words are attributed to Isaac Watts. And... If you know that name, if you're into, you know, knowing the, the writers of, of hymns of old, he has uh, written many hymns um, uh, during his lifetime years ago that have lasted the this, this centuries. And the story goes that young Isaac, at the age of 15, that he was not happy with the music being sung in his church. Does that sound familiar to teenagers? Sure it does, Right. So he approached one of the deacons with his complaint, and that deacon, in turn, challenged him and said, well, if you don't like it, then why don't you give us something better? And young Isaac did exactly that, and before he turned 16, he'd actually written his first hymn, and uh, the rest is history. But it's interesting that that song that we sang, Joy to the World, that most of us you know, know it in part or are quite familiar with it, even though he wrote the words, he didn't actually write those words to be a song called Joy to the World. Isaac was also a writer, uh, not just uh, a songwriter, but a writer, and he took the book of Psalms and he rewrote them in a paraphrase. And then a, a number of years later, a gentleman uh, by the name of Lowell Mason, uh, who was living in Boston, Massachusetts at the time, he was an established musician. He took the words uh, that Isaac had, had written in a paraphrase of what we just heard, Psalm 98. He, he took those paraphrased words, he mixed it with some of the... Uh, uh, so, some of the arrangements from Handel's Messiah with his own arrangement and created the song Joy to the World that we still sing now. And that song was written in the 1800s. It's interesting how you can grab a bunch of different pieces and, um, and God can make something wonderful out of it. Let's pray this morning as we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this time of year where we can remember what you did for us. Lord, may you calm our hearts and uh, help us to put the worries aside that so often distract us and consume us. And may we just spend this next little time uh, focused on you, Lord. Meet us where we're at. Speak to us where we need to be challenged in this next little while, Lord. Amen. 
So if you'd like to turn with me or you can listen to me read, uh, I'm going to uh, read from Luke 2, a very familiar uh, passage, especially at Christmas time, right? Starting at verse 8, so Luke 2, verse 8, it's, uh, it's entitled, Shepherds and the Angels. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, sorry, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when we think about joy and Christmas, this would be probably the most common, the most typical reference to joy, right? The announcement from the angel. Well, I'm not going to be typical this morning. We read that, but I'm going to talk to you from a different one, which is sort of Christmas, um, but maybe not Christmas, depending on how you look at it. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 2, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is the record that Matthew has of the visit of the Magi to the young Jesus child. And it reads, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented the gifts of gold of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their company, sorry, to their country by another route. I think it's pretty obvious this morning uh, that we are talking about joy. And it's our theme um, as one of the, the things that we long for Christmas, right? Our, our theme this Christmas season has been Christmas longings here from the pulpit. In some shape or form, 
we all long for joy in our hearts. We want our hearts to be filled with joy. We want to be happy. We want to enjoy life, right? And around the Christmas season, this has really increased. The whole theme of joy and happiness is one of the things. And marketing is very much that, right? So I went out and I got myself a joy t-shirt, right? I mean, I could, I could have got a number of other things at the store that had joy on them, whether it was a planter or you know, something to hang on the wall, but I decided to get myself a nice joy t-shirt. Um, but there's other things too. As, uh, as you walk into Walmart, right? We've got a big bear hanging there. Joy begins here, right? Walmart's telling us that's where joy begins is at Walmart. Well, did you know that Christian Dior has figured out what joy smells like? So if you want to smell like joy this Christmas, you can get some joy perfume. Or go to Shoppers, because Shoppers is telling us that you can find your joy at, a sh- at your local Shoppers Drug Mart. So why not go there and find your joy at Shoppers? Right, Esther? And if, that's not, if, if that doesn't work for you, Lay's. Lay's is telling us that there's a little joy in every bag of chips. Hey, isn't that great? So, probably what I should have done this morning is put on my joy t-shirt. I should have splashed on some joy, headed off to Walmart because joy begins there, but actually end up at Shoppers because that's where I'll actually find my joy because at Shoppers I can buy some Lay's potato chips And there's a little bit of joy in every bag, right? That's where we could have found joy. Anyhow, in saying all that, we all know the expression, right? You can't buy happiness. But advertising, you know, is telling us different. But we've probably all all said that to somebody, you can't buy happiness, right? And yet that's still the message we're getting. And if you haven't heard the update on you can't buy happiness... I found this, uh, several companies have actually used this as advertising, is, is it goes like this. Um, money can't buy you happiness, but you can buy blank, and that's pretty much the same thing. They just keep coming at us with buying and spending money, don't they? And if you do a search online, as I did, not right now, put your phones down, do a search later, all right, You can find articles where researchers have researched, can you buy happiness? And they'll actually say that, yeah, there are people who actually, by spending money on certain things, can buy happiness. But I also searched to see if anybody had done any research on can you buy joy. I didn't find any articles saying that you could buy joy. So... Let's do what I always do, and let's define some words. Because right now, it kind of sounds like happiness and joy are the same thing. But the question is, are happiness, or being happy and having joy, are they the same thing? Because we're really often told that they are. So, happy or happiness, you can define as being delighted, pleased, glad, having pleasure, being cheerful, being merry, being content. And I want to point out, remember this, the happy 
is an adjective. So let's look at joy. How do we define joy? Joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. It's the state of happiness, elation, satisfaction. And it's important for us to remember that joy is both a noun and a verb. It is both. And as we read, we read overjoyed. And let's not forget that word. Overjoyed means being excessively happy, deliriously happy, jubilant, even euphoric. So the difference between happiness and joy. Well, happiness comes and it goes. It's, it's not secure. It's very insecure. There's no long-term satisfaction from just being happy. Being happy is very much controlled about what happens around you, moment to moment, day to day. Today's contentment is tomorrow's source of frustration or anger. Hence the term buyer's remorse, right? I mean, have you ever bought a car thinking that you were getting the greatest thing, the thing that you'd long for, only a few months later to start having problems and you bought a lemon. What brought you happiness when you first got it and first driving is now your source of daily frustration and, ups- and, and upsetting you every time you sit in that car wondering what's going to go wrong next. Happiness is very cause and effect controlled. People chase after happiness all the time because it's constantly coming and going. Joy, on the other hand, is lasting. Joy is produced deep inside of us. It's confident. It's a standard that we have. And it stays with each of us. Joy can be cultivated inside of you. Deep down in your soul is where joy can be cultivated and stay. It is, it is defined as being a constant thing in our lives. So do you agree now that there's a difference between happy and joy. To sum it up, basically, we chase happiness and we hold on to joy. Now, a lot of us have nativity sets. Everybody's nativity set can be a little bit different, right? Some people, they just get the simple, I've got Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. Those are the basics, right? Some people like to spend a little bit more, right? And, then, and get the shepherds, and get the angel, and get the cows and the sheep, maybe a donkey, right? And even, often, the wise men, right? And typically, it's always three, right? Three wise men, and, you know, if you want to do research, some people have tried to give them names and identify who they are. And if you've got the wise men, then you've got to have the camels that they traveled on. And, but maybe if you didn't spend the money to the camels, the wise men at least have the three gifts, right, that they, br- they brought. So your nativity scene can be quite extensive and large if you choose to be. In the book of Matthew, you know, Matthew in, the, in chapter 1, starting verse 18, he describes the birth of Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Right away, right after the birth, he moves on to what he deems is the next important story, right in the beginning of chapter 2, and that's a story we read already this morning about the Magi. 
we read about the Magi and their journey to find Jesus, the new king of the Jews. These Magis, we have no idea really just how many uh, came. You know, we typically say three because there's three gifts. There could have been more, there could have been less. Matthew doesn't tell us. And we don't know exactly where from the east they came. We just know that they came from the east. Lots of people like to speculate and guess. We don't know if they traveled on camels. They might have actually traveled on horses if they uh, were from the east. Uh, Certain areas used horses more. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe they came with camels and horses carrying all kinds of stuff. We just don't know that. We don't really know if they were actually kings, right? We often refer to them as three kings. We don't know if they were kings. We don't know if they had royal blood. Matthew doesn't tell us. He's not worried about that. But we do assume that they were wise because we know that they were astrologers. So we assume that they were educated. If they're educated, then they must have been wise. So you can kind of get away with calling them wise men. But our question is, is why did he include this story? You know, Luke can tell you, Luke didn't include it, but why did, why did Matthew? Well, let's just talk for a minute. Why did Matthew even write the book of Matthew? Well, his purpose was that he wanted to communicate with people. He wanted to tell people about Jesus. And he wanted to prove that Jesus was the King of the Jews, the promised Messiah. And so he wrote this to the, mainly to the Jews at the time, but ultimately for everybody to, to read later as it has lasted all these years. And he wanted people to understand that it Jesus wasn't who they were looking for in the Messiah, a Messiah who they thought was just going to save them from the Roman rule and, and take over. He wanted them to know that Jesus came to save people from their sins, not just from Romans. So this visit by the Magi probably occurred anywhere between about six months to two years after Jesus was born. And there's some things that we can learn from this story if we go looking for them. First of all, it clearly tells us that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Right off the bat, right in verse 2 there. Right? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Also, that Jesus was worthy of worship, even as a young child. It's interesting, you know, you would think that these visitors presenting themselves to Herod, king of the Jews, it might, you might, Matthew might indicate that, you know, that they worshipped him being the king, but it doesn't talk about it. They came, their focus of their trip was to find the new king of the Jews and worship him. There's no indication that they gave any worship, presence, or homage to Herod himself. And there's a big contrast in reactions in in what we read here, right? The Magi, they traveled a really long distance. They they saw the star. Obviously, it seems like they had some education, some knowledge of the promised king. Exactly how, we don't know, but, you know, maybe, uh, you know, it's through the writings of Daniel or, or, or whoever. There's lots of speculation on how they knew, but they knew about this promised Messiah, this promised king, and they traveled a long distance over who knows how many days, weeks, or months, and 
all to find this new promised king of the Jews. Herod, on the other hand, just in Jerusalem, only nine or ten kilometers from Bethlehem, he had no interest in going to see this new baby, right? I mean, he wouldn't even bother traveling nine or ten kilometers. He told the Magi, you go and then bring me back a report because, you know, I'm no, he was not nearly as, as excited or enthused about this new king. Verse 10, sorry, yeah, verse 10 in chapter 2, we read. Um, sorry, I'll start in 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed at the reappearing of the star. Now, obviously we don't get all the details, we don't fully understand, but we know that probably right around the time Jesus was was born, um, this star appeared, and these magi, they saw it, and they recognized somehow that this was an important star, that this was announcing this promised Messiah, and that whether the star moved at that point or not, we're not sure, or whether they just knew from the readings, they knew that they needed to head towards Jerusalem to find the king of the Jews. And so for at some point, this star disappeared. Now, whether it disappeared once they reached Jerusalem or at some point before, we don't know when or why, but that star disappeared for a while. And it was the star that was taking them to Jesus. And so they, you know, they needed to stop and ask directions, right? You know, there probably must have been some women traveling with them because the guys wouldn't have stopped to ask for directions, right? But, you know, we always listen to our wives, and when they say it's time to ask for directions, we stop and ask for directions when we don't know our way. But this star that reappeared this was so exciting to them that it's described as being uh, that they were that these magis were overjoyed by the reappearing of the star. And one of the neat things about having so many different English translations of the Bible is, is we get different descriptions of this. So let me list off several for you. So the NIV tells us overjoyed, but then you can read in other translations expressions like exceeding great joy, ecstatic joy filled with joy, an extensively great joy, overjoyed beyond measure. Their joy knew no bounds. They shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. But it wasn't really the star that made them that happy. The the fact that the star had appeared... They were happy because now the star was back. The star was going to take them right to Jesus. And, and Matthew records that, that they followed the star right to the house where Mary was. So it kind of reads like they were so happy about the star. And yes, they were happy about the star, but was, what they were overjoyed about was they are going right straight to the king. They were going to meet Jesus Christ the new king of the Jews, the promised Messiah. That's what they were overjoyed about. 
Remember I said earlier when I was defining joy? It's a noun and a verb. They felt the joy. They went to Jesus and they worshiped him. But Herod, though king at the time, uh, of all the Jews, he was actually not of Jewish descent himself. And so he was greatly greatly disturbed by this news. Matthew records the prophecy about the location where Jesus would be born. And that is found in Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 4. And we get that recorded, but there's also a possibility that maybe these priests and teachers of the law, maybe, maybe they brought out all the prophecies to King Herod. Maybe they, you know, maybe they recited, brought out all of these prophecies, and maybe that's part of what made King Herod so disturbed. Herod was not happy He did not rejoice at all. His reaction was one of fear. He became fearful to the point, if you read on in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, you'll read how he wanted to kill Jesus. He came up with a game plan and he tried to kill Jesus as a baby because he was afraid of him. I was taught many years ago, and I believe it's really true, that you will find what you go looking for in life. If you look for joy, honestly and truly look for joy, you will find it. You will find what brings you lasting, deep joy. I mean, there's, there, are, there are a number of things that can bring you joy in your life. There are certain people, right? A newborn baby can honestly bring you joy. Good personal health can bring you deep joy. Having an optimistic outlook on life, accomplishing certain accomplishments that you hold on to that are very worthy. Having a sense of purposefulness in life can bring you a deep sense of joy. If you look for reasons to be fearful, you will find fear very easily. And they will very easily ensnare you. People fear change. They fear dangerous situations. They fear the unknown. People fear death. Fear is a very unpleasant emotion inside of us. And it can be very, very consuming. It it consumes people to the point of long depression and, and anxiety and health issues, and, you know, we've got a whole list of, you know, phobias that you can look up to describe lots of different consuming fears that people have. But joy can produce a deep contentment, a confidence. Right along with joy goes hope, peace, and love. Those four things, they all go so well together. Don't we all want joy, 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 joy deep in our hearts? Where? Deep in our hearts to stay, right? I didn't try and sing that song, but it's a song many of us know, and it's true. We want that joy deep in our hearts. But do you want joy or do you want to be overjoyed? Do you want to 
have exceeding great joy in your heart. If that's what you really want, then you need to meet Jesus. He's God's gift to each one of us. Jesus was called the King of the Jews, but he was sent as a gift of salvation to the whole world. I mean, if we, if we flip back to Psalm 98, you know, in those first few verses, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations, to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Fun fact, if you do a search on the word joy in the NIV Bible, it appears 242 times in the Bible. So you think joy is important? Probably, right? It's recorded 174 times in the Old Testament and 68 times in the New Testament. And remember, I keep saying this, joy is a noun and a verb. Almost every time you read the word joy, along with that is some type of expression, a physical expression of the amount of joy. Along with when you read about joy, there's, there's shouting of joy, there's singing of joy, there's dancing, there's worship all along with those mentions of the word joy. And we've talked about overjoyed this morning too, right? I mean, the Magi were overjoyed. Overjoyed appears five times in the NIV Bible, once in the Old Testament and four times in the New Testament. Joy? Joy begins with God, not Walmart. There's a little bit of joy on every page of the Bible. I encourage you, pick up the Bible. Maybe you're not a Bible reader. There's Bible apps. There's a physical Bible. Talk to Brian Telford, get a a year-long Bible. You can read the whole Bible in a year. That's where you'll find a little bit of joy. God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth as a gift, as a baby boy to grow up, to dwell among us, to teach us, to do healings, to be an example. And then he willingly died on the cross. And being raised back to life, and then ascending back up to heaven. He defeated death through his life and death. Not just for one person, not just for the Jewish people, but for the ends of the earth, for the whole world. The Magi were overjoyed about seeing Jesus face to face for the first time. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw Jesus risen from the dead, alive again. If you want to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 20, starting at verse 19, or you can just listen, whichever. It's recorded for us. Here's another overjoyed. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together and the doors locked for fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I want to challenge you this morning. We can go to our last slide, Alex. Yep. Stop chasing happiness that the world is trying to sell you. And we had lots of examples of that off the start, how they're trying to sell it. They call it joy, but it's actually happiness. They've confused the words on you. Grab a hold of joy and become not just full of joy, become overjoyed by accepting and holding on to the gift of eternal life that God is offering to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'll I'll be like Shoppers Drug Mart. I want you to find joy today. If you already consider yourself a Christian, if you've accepted Christ into your heart, and you've got that joy down deep there, the additional challenges show that to people. Don't walk around like you were baptized in vinegar. All right? Smile. Let the joy flow out of you. Joy is a noun, but it's also a verb. Live a joyous life. Show people how happy you are deep in your heart. Because there's people out there that have not accepted Jesus yet. And if you're one of those people, may I challenge you to strongly consider accepting the gift from God of His Son, Jesus Christ, so you can find joy and your heart can be filled and you can experience truly being overjoyed this Christmas season. Thank you.